leadership is actually a quality that you would see in someone that's actually selling from a place of love. It's a whole concept of actually caring for the impact that you're making for the people you sell to. It's actually taking responsibility for every sale that you make, realizing that there's a moral responsibility, a moral duty that comes with you going out there and moving that energy. Are you moving it towards something good? Are you moving it towards something bad? Welcome, trust builders. I'm Sue Dyer, and this is Lead with Trust where we explore how leaders can build their business on a foundation of trust and reap the rewards of becoming the top performer in their market. Leaders that understand how to use and leverage trust are uniquely positioned to disrupt their industry and dominate their market. Distrust of businesses and business leaders is at an all-time high. Trusted businesses must have trusted leaders and your team Your customers and your vendors are waiting for you to step up and elevate the level of trust in your business. My hope is that this podcast can help you start your trusted leader journey. Hey, this is Sue Dyer, and welcome to this episode of Lead with Trust. And today we are going to listen to Jason Mark Campbell. He joined us from his home in Bali, and he is an expert in sales. And he has such an interesting way of looking at sales and has written a book called Selling with Love. And we talk a lot about what that means. So I think you'll really enjoy that. And I also think that he has such an unusual point of view for any of us, whether we're a salesperson, an entrepreneur, a leader, that we need to come to what we do uh, from a place of caring. And I think that's really the message that Jason leaves for all of us in this episode. So let us listen to what Jason Mark Campbell shares with us. Hey, welcome to this new episode with Jason Mark Campbell today coming to uh coming to us from Bali. Now, I think most of it would probably like to be there with you, but uh, tell us what your day is like so far. I know it's early, but uh, tell us about a typical day in Bali for you. I was going to say today doesn't have much event. There's there's a small gap between an alarm going off in the morning and me showing up being ready for delivering content for everybody here uh, as it's six in the morning here. But if we were starting a little later, a typical day in Bali, you know, it's a there's a reason I stay, you know, and there's a big difference between visiting somewhere and living somewhere. And, you know, I, I wake up with so much gratitude because a typical day can wake up. Uh, I'll, I'll go and find my partner. We'll go and have a coffee together. Might go to a little cafe together. We can, there's so many uh, amazing, unique fitness places, ice baths, saunas. Like those are some of the things I like to do in the morning. Um, You get into your routine. Most of my work actually happens very early in the day and very late in the day because most of my audience being in North America, well, I need to get up for late interviews and get up early. Sorry, get up for early interviews and stay up for late interviews. So in the middle of the day is where I have my social time and all of my work happens early on, late. And uh, yeah, that's that's the routine. And uh, this is the life right now. It's kind of an interesting um, combination. I think there's a lot of people who would enjoy that quite a bit. Yeah. I would also imagine there's a lot of people who would find this horrible, like, especially, you know, I'm, you know, I'm in my mid thirties. So 
I don't have any children, but if I did have children at this point, this might be not as sustainable as a schedule, you know? Um, well, that's true. Then you're so, always open and you're always up in the morning and, and at night then. Well, I guess you're not changing your sleep schedule much, but you have to put your attention towards different areas of your life. <laughs> yes, you do. There are stages of life. So I like to ask everybody, I know you're Canadian, but where, what group did you hang out with when you were in high school? Oh, that's a fun question. Okay. I'll give you the medium answer because it's a little interesting how it led to being the guy who's talking to audiences and being a selling with love person. So uh, starting into high school, I had the thought that I was the only one in high school that had insecurities, you know, like everybody else was secure except me, obviously not having any awareness of what's going on in other people's mind. All I was concerned about is, oh my God, like I, I want to, I want to be cool. I, I want to be liked by people. You know, those were strong drivers. But I found myself also interested in video games. So I started off high school being called part of the geek squad. Um, and, and then, you know, that that was the first label. But then the second year, some of my friends picked up skateboarding and, and I was doing date, uh, what is it, dirt biking. So then we started being, you know, hanging out with people would say like the bad rebel kids, but I wasn't doing anything rebellious. We were just, you know, hanging out at the skate park. And then while I was going towards, you know, junior and senior year, it's like the preps and the the cool kids were like, hey, why is this guy still in our classes? Like, you know, going to those advanced classes. I thought he was a stupid guy doing skateboarding and not really good in school. So I ended up like they I'd be hanging out with them because I was in those classes. And it's so funny because, again, I started and I was trying really hard and I was really thinking that I was the only one with insecurity. And then when came graduation, they were given out awards and they ended up awarding me with a guy that was the most friends with everyone because I ended up going into so many different groups. And I like to think that, you know, I, of course I wasn't a perfect angel, but you know, I, I feel like I tried my best to not, you know, tip over the beehive in any group that I would go into. And uh, yeah, that ended up being someone that I guess I should be a networker. I guess I should be a salesperson. I mean, I see that I'm connecting with a lot of different groups. So you know, I don't think it's by accident. <laughs> oh, that that is really awesome. I thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate that perspective. I, I am finding as I ask this, it's so much of who we are has already become present when we're in high school. Yeah. Yeah. So I know sales is your thing and you have a book about love and sales. Can that possibly go together? And so tell us a little bit about why you care so much about sales. I know it's important, but yeah, why do you think about loving sales? It's very interesting to me because the majority of people that I'll encounter or speak to, you know, love and sales, as you said, doesn't seem to go well together. Yet I've always had people come to me and being like, wow, Jason, he just loves selling. You know, that you see him around, he's always got enthusiasm about what he's selling. And most people are feeling blocked. They're feeling like there's there's just some what some activity that's supposed to be malicious or manipulative or slimy that has to be associated with sales. How could you possibly love such an activity? And since you know you've already asked me to go back into the past, I'll tell you another story from that high school, which is they asked you at some point to do a charity drive, which is to sell these like chocolate-covered almonds for charity. So you have to go door to door and then like sell these chocolate bars and they're really good. Uh, I think they had some false marketing though, because they call themselves the world's finest chocolate. It, it was pretty good, but like not that good. So it's like, calm down. So the hype was there, but I was knocking door to door and asking people like, do you want 
you know, a box of chocolate for a toonie. And, you know, you can identify where I'm from if I say toonie, which is a $2 coin in Canada. And people were excited. People were like, oh, chocolate. You know, we weren't as health conscious back then. So we're like, yeah, chocolate, this is great. They'd buy a bar, give me a toonie. I'd be like, wow, this is amazing. I get to make someone happy by giving them chocolate. I'm doing something good, raising money for charity. And this is fun to do because I'm connecting with some people around. So why not? And I kept doing that. And I think it's by the sixth door that I knocked the lady when I asked him if she wanted to buy some chocolate, said, well, give me a moment. Let me ask my daughter. And so down the stairs comes the daughter who was going to English school because I was going to French school. So I had no idea who she was. She was my age. She was very pretty. And she ended up being one of my first girlfriends. And so, okay, not an accident that I'm talking about love and selling. But the clue here is that my association, my, my history, the kind of the first impressions I had around sales were extremely positive experiences. So I didn't find myself having a lot of the baggage and misconceptions and sometimes warranted conceptions around sales because some of us will associate it to some of the sales that are more negative. We'll we'll pay attention more to the negative sales experience. Either we've experienced directly Either we've heard our parents talk about or friends talk about, or we've seen in the media that portrays these salespeople like the Wolf of Wall Street, which are basically manipulative people, you know, swindling some customers out of penny stocks that aren't any good. And we start to think that that's how we're supposed to do sales. So a lot of the work that I do is to get people to understand that, you know, sales can look very different than what we've painted it to be, call it the used car salesman caricature. And you can do sales in a way that's your style, that you could be authentic that is focused on listening, caring, leading, being a trusted leader, right, Sue? Yes, indeed. And, you know, it becomes amazing to see that what happens when you sell with love is you actually, you know, I define sales as such. Selling is nothing more than an energy exchange between conscious beings. And when you know what you offer is so much more than what you ask in return, that's what I call selling with love. I like that. I like the idea that it's about energy uh, because I do think that uh, people pick up on energy. They may not even be really that aware of it, but you know, you walk in a room and you just get a feel for something or you meet someone and you just get a connection or a, no, we're going to stay away from that person. And it doesn't take much for people. And even the research shows that we make our judgment and like, less than three seconds. So we we are picking up on something and it isn't what we're saying. So, you know, my, in my work, I talk about intentions and how intentions set the stage to allow for you to create what it is you want to create. And, and so I, I think that's the idea is, is um, a great one, but you talk about in your book about selling with love. So define for me what you mean by love. You need to get in a romantic relationship with every client. <laughs> no, that was no, 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 exhausting. No, 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 please don't make a snippet of this. <laughs> no. So I use the word love just because like, let's be honest, we can all rally around love. We all have an understanding of love and it seems like a desired state to go towards. Depending on the audience that I speak of, I can substitute the word with different things. And in my case, what love can be. It could be selling while leading your clients. Leadership is actually a quality that you would see in someone that's actually selling from a place of love. It's a whole concept of actually caring for Mm -hmm. the impact that you're making for the people you sell to. It's actually taking responsibility for every sale that you make, realizing that there's a moral responsibility, a moral duty that comes 
with you going out there and moving that energy? Are you moving it towards something good? Are you moving it towards something bad? There's something that you need to be responsible for there. So when I speak about love, it's really just caring. Like, can we care more about every single thing that we do? Like, let's expand it beyond sales. But what's interesting is when you are specifically about sales, the impact is so amplified. Like if we look around, like, I don't know where you're listening to this podcast, maybe you're on the drive, maybe you're on the jog, maybe you're just sitting at home, look around you, the house that you're in. How did you end up in this house? A sale was made, whether to sell you the house or to convince you to rent this property over another. And what about the laptop, the device, the iPhone, whatever it is you're using that you're listening to this? This was the product of a sale. Everything in our world is the product of a sale. And so based on the energy that you're doing the sale from when, again, as I define it, knowing that you're giving so much more than what you ask in return, we can start making transactions that make the world more efficient flow of transaction that creates perpetual value. Boo. I say when you actually do a sale from a place of love, it's actually creating, I'll say, renewable energy because love is felt by both the buyer and the seller. Because you feel, you know, when you've made a purchase and you're like, this feels good and you buy that product, like, do you remember the thing that you buy? There's something that you own and you're like, God, I love owning this. I loved buying this and it's mine. There's an emotional attachment. I absolutely love it. More than likely, the sales process was designed in a way that embodied trust, knew that you were taken care of, you were being led to a decision that made it so that you own it. And if we can see a lot more transactions happen from that place, we're going to see a lot of better things in the world. I'm, this reminds me of a speech I gave quite a few years ago. I was um, I was the first woman in the United States to be the head of a large construction trade association, and I was asked to speak at a conference of all other executive directors. And I remember talking to them about how you need to love your members, and if you don't, you should not be their leader. And I feel the same way about my business now and my customers, my clients is I, I think that's a message for every leader and every sector at every level that if you really don't feel that love and caring about your people that you're serving, then you're really in the wrong place and should remove yourself. I really yeah. feel that strongly. Hey, and let, let me be clear on what I mean by sales. It's not just being in the sales role, being a salesperson. Sales happens everywhere all the time. Whether you're recruiting members, where you're trying to keep members, everything is a sales process. If we're trying to get a job, if we're trying to hire people, all of it is a sales process. And we can even take it into our personal lives. Like to get into a relationship, it's a sales process. To maintain and grow a relationship is a sales process. And so I love for the members, you know, especially if they're in construction, think about it. Like, what would you like when you quote a job that you're like, wow, this person couldn't build this kind of home or this kind of project on their own? We have the skills, we have competency, we're able to, you know, create a proposal that is going to cost them money, but it's a project you love building. The person's going to be happy that you built it. It's going to be a fun client to work with. Like, that's, that's the kind of work we want to do more of. And that's what I'm nurturing people to not just do it from a way that, hey, I'm going to build a great product, but also being selective on who you want to work with and really understanding that there's certain clients you really want to pay attention to work well with and know that you provide massive value for. After 35 years of having a business that I just sold a couple of years ago, we, we had a saying that a bad client never becomes a good client. And shame on us if we 
don't get rid of the clients that don't fit for us. It isn't good for them and it isn't good for us. But I see the same thing with employees. I, I, I remember I was um, I founded a nonprofit charitable organization and we were having the international awards ceremony. And uh, there was a for a project that had won a really top award. And uh, the contractor came over and said to me, you know, the, the resident engineer we had on this project was the absolute best person I've ever worked with in 35 years. They just were fabulous. And so it was just, there was a great celebration. And then the next morning I'm back in my office and my phone rings and it's another contractor telling me, you know, I'm on this project and I have never had such a hard time with this. RE is just, he's just horrendous. It's just horrible. I don't know what to do. He's just ruining our project. I need to get rid of him. It was the same person they were talking about. So what what I learned is that if some people are they're just not a fit. You know, there is there's just this thing between people where it gels or it doesn't gel and and you shouldn't keep people together that don't fit. <laughs> it isn't good for anybody. Yeah. It isn't thing they're bad or that they don't know what they're doing. It means they don't fit. Mm. Yeah, no, I I totally agree and you know, what I teach about one of the loves and selling I speak about is love the client. And again, I make the disclaimer, I'm not talking about getting into a romantic relationship here. But the key to love when it comes to love the client is understanding the client and understanding that no two clients are going to perceive the value the same way. No, as well as no two clients are going to get the real value the same way. And, and the difference that I explain here is perceived value is what they expect this to be, like the value they expect this to be until the, made is sale, the sale is made. And the real value is the actual value that they're going to feel that they got once the project is done on their way and they've actually made the purchase. And for some person, like if you're doing construction and, and Sue, do correct me, are we talking residential construction projects or large commercial? No, no, mostly very large, you know, All right. 10 million, so, billion, hundred million. Yeah. Yeah. Large. So the big boys. So yeah. listen, there, there could be some person like one client that, you know, when you start to understand him, you're like, oh what they value the most, you know, it could be a tiny thing, but in their organization, what they value the most is reports that they get on a weekly basis that are done in a structure. They're delivered on time is the moment you're a little late on that report, it completely triggers them and they feel you're incompetent and they pay attention to nothing else because this is one of the things that they found very important. And you might be able to work with such a client and deliver based on how you understand them and build your product, your proposal to say, this is how we actually do our reports. This is a sample of what we have. This is when it gets delivered and they feel secure that's how they perceive one part of the value versus you can have another client that might not care at all about this, but they want the job site to have a level of tidiness that they expect. And that's how they perceive order. So depending on clients, they all have different ways of perceiving value. So you can have the same engineer following a very great process of timeliness when it comes to reporting. And the client says, this is amazing. This is a great person to work with, but you walk on the job site and there might be some you know, some scraps that are a little you know, hanging around. And that would take another client that really cares about that would say this is the worst experience. So understanding the customer is knowing that, you know, can you pay attention? Can you see what is important to them? When you in the sales process, are we clear on what is the value that they perceive and they want from the project so that you can pick your jobs and being like, hey, this one's going to be a great fit. This one might not be as much. Yeah, I think that's a great, great way to look at it. I hope you're enjoying the show. Sorry to interrupt, but if you're looking to improve any area of your life, One of the first things you'll want to do is to figure out where you are today and where the gaps are, and then really get clear on where you want to go. Visionary leaders 
need clarity like human beings need oxygen. It's essential. That's why my team and I put together a great starting point for you on your trusted leader journey. It's called the Trusted Leader Profile, and it will allow you to take charge of the atmosphere in your business by helping you understand your trusted leader style and how you can elevate the level of trust in your business. With understanding, you can make better choices and grow the level of trust and your results. For being a listener to the show, it's 100% complimentary for you to access the profile. All you have to do is go to www.sudico.com slash profile. And Sudico is S-U-D-Y-C-O. Again, that's www.sudico.com slash profile. I really believe that the profile will help you understand the norms you bring to your business and unlock the next level of leadership for you. Also, I, I know that when we talk, talk to entrepreneurs, uh, I think, you know, one of my, my philosophies is that fear and trust cannot coexist. But I think when it comes to sales, an awful lot of entrepreneurs, in fact, there's three shirts that shows it's like over 80% of small businesses fail because they don't do sales and marketing. And I think it's a lot of fear that stops it. So what kind of advice can you give to some entrepreneurial folks who maybe need to up their game in sales or would like to, and they just, it's hard to overcome the barrier? Yeah, that's a great question. And I want to bring up something. I've been having a lot of podcasts and doing a lot of interviews, and this theme keeps coming up. And I think it's going to be relevant here too. You talk about fear and trust, not being able to live together. There's a duality in sales that we've been having conversations, which is can neediness and love coexist together in the sales process? Because a lot of times when you're in sales and you come from a place that you're an entrepreneur, you're just getting started and you really need that sales. So you become a little desperate. You become a little needy. And when you do that, being needy means you start prioritizing your own wants and desires over the ones for your client or potential client. And, you know, we had some debates and discussions about it, and we realized that they can rarely, if not ever, coexist because the moment you step into neediness, the person feels that vibe that you're coming from what I call a fear, pride paradox or some shame and guilt blockages in your sales process. Energetically, we feel it like when someone's really pushing and you're like, are they pushing for me or are they pushing for themselves? And the intention is important, as you've mentioned as well, Sue. Yeah. So, you know, for somebody who's just getting started, and here's, here's the thing, like I got into my entrepreneurship journey when I was in my early 20s and failed. And I failed and I ended up going back into the workforce following a career that allowed me to make amazing connections, that allowed me to develop my skills as a salesperson and as a business leader into going along to personal growth as well. There was a lot of infrastructure that was in place within an organization that allowed me to grow and to come back into entrepreneurship feeling more ready, more prepared, and less needy. And this is something I might say maybe as different than most people would be like, yeah, you can go out there, be successful, make more sales. But for some people listening, maybe entrepreneurship isn't the path you're ready for. Because I do admit, if you don't have the capacity to generate revenue, which is the oxygen for your business, like you need to breathe. If you don't know how to inhale, exhale, it'll be very difficult for you to be a functioning human being. 
And so when it comes to business, sales ends up being your breathing in. So you got to learn how to take in, make the sales. And if you're still having struggles with that, I would suggest highly to get into a place, a position, finding an opportunity where there can be a high velocity of sales interactions. And what I mean by that is if you can be in any kind of position that let's say it's telephone sales, and I've done telephone sales in my late teens, early twenties. And I have to tell you, Sue, that has actually helped me so much get over my fear of rejection, understanding that you, you know, you're reaching out to people. Some of them are ready. Some of them are not. Some of them don't want your product or service at all. Some of them don't want it right now. But the outcome of every call is nothing personal. You're just gauging interest and trying to earn trust. And you're leading down a path, a funnel, and you get so less attached to the rejection that comes from every no. And for an entrepreneur who struggles with sales, every no can feel so damaging. And then if you don't have an abundance of leads, you can come across as very needy. So experience, practice, unless you're an entrepreneur who really is willing to go and put in the work, then I'd say go and have as many conversations, make as many connections as possible, knowing that you're in a losing sport. Like, think about it. When, you, when you're in sales, you are like, if you were graded in school, if you were in sales, you'd be failing every time. You'd be getting an F because your closing rate's not going to be over 50% unless you're only dealing with a small, small segment of highly, highly, highly motivated people. And you've isolated yourself in this beautiful bubble, like, you know, working in an Apple store, right? <laughs> if you're like person walks in highly motivated to buy that iPhone, then the sale, you know, they're like, oh, this is great. You know, over 50% of the people buy, not the real world for entrepreneurs, right? The branding, the marketing makes itself. So. You're going to go in there and maybe it's going to be 10%. That means Every 10 conversations results in nine failures. But if you've been in personal growth, you know that you're on this journey where they always say fail forward. You learn and grow through your failures. I think sales ends up being the fastest growing personal growth, self-awareness, growth experiences that you can experience because you're going to fail more often than none. Yeah, I, I think that that's uh, such great advice. It reminds me that uh, you have to trust yourself, <laughs> that you're going to actually do it and then not kill yourself over it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and again, it's like, if you're getting into sales, there's high emotions. Like if you look at anybody who's a sales professional, there can be highs, they can be lows. And especially if an entrepreneur, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And one of the loves I talk about is the self-love component. And I know it sounds so like, you know, kumbaya, self-love, but honestly, you need to put in some practice. You need that resilience. If you can surround yourself with people that can support you because your natural tendency will resist sales because it's just that it's like the slay the dragon. It's the eat the frog. It's the one activity. You know, so many people I've worked with, it's like, okay, I'm going to do the social media. I'm going to refine the product. I'm going to organize this. It's like having an important project you need to work on, but you decide to clean your own house, your whole house instead. This is how we do in business. And as entrepreneurs, it's like, oh yeah, sales. That's the one thing that I'm going to do last. I'm going to do everything else first. Yeah. And yeah. it's really good to surround yourself with like accountability and set goals. And that's why sales managers ends up being such an important role in professional sales organizations. Because those who are full-time salespeople struggle with the same things as we do as entrepreneurs or as business leaders. The sales is not naturally coming to us. And I'm, I'm just blown away by how many people that are professional salespeople that are resonating with the message I'm sharing. Because in my head, and it's like, yeah, they're sales professional. They got this. No, 
we're all trying to figure it out. Every day is a new day. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You have to step up every day and uh, make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, it's been a long time because I started my business, my first business in 1986. So it's, it's been a, been a long time and now starting a new business, you know, think about 86, we didn't have computers, we didn't have cell phones, we didn't have the internet, we didn't have any of the digital life that we have now. And so uh, learning, learning all of those things and trying to put it together is, uh, is a bit of a challenge. It's very different than it was. So, and there's certainly a big push for entrepreneurship. People are, are, I love it. I, people are just out there making their own world. And uh, it's a, cre- I think business is maybe one of the most creative forces there is on earth. And that's what I love about it. It's such a creative thing. So, so what, what kind of things, other things can people do, actions they can take to get better at sales or, and make sure that you are doing what you need to do to make your business have the cash that you need in order to actually have a business? Yeah. There's, there's a few ways I could take this conversation. Um, I think f- to directly answer your question, um, I'll, I'll go directly to what is called love the process, uh, which is one of the loves I talk about. Love the process of sales. You know, everything I've been discussing so far has just to open you to the idea that sales is not a yucky, manipulative, gross thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's an energy exchange. It can be done from a place of love. It can be done with integrity. It can be done your way. And when I speak about love the process, it's about understanding that when you put in systems, tactics, strategies in place for sales to happen, it's not manipulation, it's empathy. And what I mean by that, is that you're actually starting to learn the language that is necessary for people to understand the value you want to bring to them. We're in the business of solving problems as business as entrepreneurs is we've identified a market that has a particular problem and we have a solution that we can solve for them that's going to be so much more valuable than if they go and solve it themselves. That's ultimately what the model that we're trying to build as entrepreneurs. And when you have that model, you need to have at least a model within your company that allows you to systematically be able to reach the people who need it in a way that won't consume all your time and will make it so that you can actually make those transactions so you can thrive, not just survive. Again, not be needy, but really be out there ready to serve and know that there are an abundance of people that need what you have. And so I often see that the, the panacea or the remedy for the sales neediness is what I call sales one-itis, which is like, if you only have one or two leads, you're like, oh, I need to close them or else, you know, um, I'm going to have no cash flow this month. So you, you're really feeling desperate because you have a low inbound amount of leads. So when I talk about love the process of selling, I would suggest for people, are you clear on how sales flow within your company? And can you at least map out a simple process? You know, how do you get these leads? Where, where do you find them? Where do you source them? Where do you do your prospecting? Have an awareness of what that looks like. So you can know that, okay, this is things that I can do to bring more leads into the ecosystem. Is it going to conferences? Is it you know running advertising? Is it going on LinkedIn and connecting with relevant stakeholders? Find a way that you know that if I start doing X, I can connect with more people that could potentially want what I sell. Have that mapped out and then try to see if that, what are the major two, three steps that you go through with a client that brings them all the way to being a customer. Do you set a first meeting? What does that look like? Do you have a proposal stage? What does that look like? 
And then what do you do to help them get to the close? What is the moment that they make the purchase? Is it via credit card? Is it you know doing a bank transfer? But have that clarified. And you go at a very basic level. I'm not asking you to build a sophisticated sales model. What I'm saying is if you can have the basic things that allows you to build the traffic or to get the leads, a way to convert the leads into being interested parties that potentially will buy and actually taking those people and converting them into a sale, then you can start looking at it as a system of getting more sales coming in and you can start optimizing in the places that you feel you could do more. And I will say for the majority of the people listening, it's going to be at the front end. It's going to be about finding more ways to prospect, reach out to new people, because the more you really fill up that bucket, the less anxiety you'll feel at the end of the funnel. So you know that there's tons of leads that can be in the pipeline and they keep flowing in. And now you don't have that one-itis or that desperation or neediness that comes if one of those sales doesn't close. Because as I mentioned, it might be one out of 10. So do you have 100 people waiting? Because that's what it's going to take for you to grow the business. Uh, The thing that came to my mind as you were talking about that is... Uh, the sales part is so important to bring this stuff into the business. And so many entrepreneurs I see don't really also understand all the parts of the business. So they don't know if they're making any money or not, and too often don't make any money. So there's no real profit. And so they work really, really hard. One of the things that I've seen, and based on what you were saying, is that so many entrepreneurs don't really know when they do make the sales, whether or not those sales will end up actually making any profit. And they don't understand all the internal parts and components of their business that what it takes. And I just see this too often where, you know, they sell a product for X dollars and then they spend a lot of time delivering that. And then in the meantime, they're not doing prospecting. They're not doing sales. And they had to pay some other people to do some stuff that you go, well, if you really ran the numbers on how much money you could make, you would be losing money. Yeah. Well, it depends on the stages that they're at. Like if you're if you're listening to this and you're at the beginning stages, I, I love the work from uh, Mike McCallowitz, actually. He wrote a book called Fix This Next. And what I love is he built a pyramid of needs for a company. You know how like Maslow has that pyramid of needs for the individual? Yes. He put the one together for businesses and he talks about the layers of needs that we have as a company. And he says, at the foundation, it's just revenue. And if you're at a very early stage as an entrepreneur, revenue is the only thing you're going to want to do, which is a sales activity. You know, you just want to go out there, get customers, serve them, deliver epically, get case studies, bring in the money, like deliver it as much as you need to deliver it. And your profit margins are probably not going to be that great. But that's not the first need you need to cover. The first need is just revenue. But once you've got revenue coming in and you've taken care of that need, profit ends up being the next thing you optimize. Now you start saying, okay, how am I properly charging for this product and service? Do I have adequate margins for my growth, for my marketing, for my delivery? And you really want to build a business that actually generates profit because why else did you get into business? You're not looking to build a charity. You're looking to actually maximize the impact and grow that. And that can only happen if you have a profitable business model. And then they speak about the next tier. And so they talk about after you've got some profit, you probably want to create order into your business. 
and order is like, how do I have systems and processes? How am I hiring people? How am I training people? How does that sales process look like? Jason just talked about prospecting, converting, and nurturing. So can I optimize this? Can I systemize this? Can I make this more autopilot? And then he speaks about the top two tier is like, how do I focus on the impact? And then how do I leave a legacy? Mike McAllowitz fixed this next fantastic book. And I love that model because it makes you realize where should I be prioritizing my efforts? Like, are you struggling with getting a single client? Then focus just on sales. Are you dealing with clients and your baby being unprofitable? Well, you might start firing some clients and realizing you're going to keep the high margin ones and optimize your business to serve that kind of customer. And then is it chaotic? Well, start building some onboarding, start building some, some ways of delivering more consistently, more valuably. And know that you're going to be growing the business to a point where you're focusing on delivering real impact in the world and leaving a legacy that you're proud of. I think that applies even to sales organizations that I see uh, because they, you know, there's a whole array of people that they could go to. And they first, when they first start working for that company, they're trying to build in revenue and it just sort of matches that. It does, it seems sort of very similar. And I know in construction, a lot of things are done either as a negotiated price or as a lump sum bid, uh, that happens in 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 entrepreneurial world as well. But uh, you just got to keep thinking. I think about the relationships that you're building uh, and try to build that word of mouth, which is what my business was 100% word of mouth for at least 25 years, at least. So it, it, that that word of mouth, uh, long term relationships, word of mouth, uh, built a very very nice foundation for the business. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're trying to build trust. And, you know, when you're starting out and you want that word of mouth, you're going to over deliver on every single contract that you get. And yeah, that might affect your profit margins at the beginning. But again, if you're building that brand equity from over delivering every single time, that's how word of mouth gets to keep going because people will have an expectation of how valuable you deliver. Now there's less risk with doing business with you. So you can charge premiums. Yeah, that's that's great, great concept. So I know you really are on a mission about teaching companies to care. And uh, I'm on a mission to help leaders build their business on a foundation of trust. It just seems like uh, we are on similar paths. So uh, I hope that we'll have a chance to support each other over the next several years as we uh, work towards achieving these things. I agree. We're on the same mission to make the world a better place, one sale at a time, one business leader at a time. Yeah. So I appreciate so much, Mark. Give give everybody one thing that they can do today to improve their sales. Only one thing. I would say take a moment and just clarify what's the impact of every sale you make. Like if you had one thing to do, like grab a piece of paper and just jot down or journal out as a result of me selling to my clients, they get and talk about what problems they solved by buying from you. What thing do they get cheaper? What thing do they get with less risk? What thing do they get more bonus? And just start talking not only feature-wise, but benefit-wise. Like When someone buys from me, they get to have a project that's delivered on time, on budget, of high quality, with no compromise, with experienced team. That means that they have less stress. They get recognized in their workplace for being a great uh, procurement officer. Uh, depending on the type of business you're selling to, you start really listing that down. And when you start doing that, you start realizing, wow, okay, I have a duty to sell. Because the more clear I am on that impact, the more motivated I am to realize that 
I can go and deliver that value. And I know I'm giving so much more than what I'm asking return. So let's get energized and let's go sell. I love that. That's really great. I want to, how can everybody find you? I've got a bunch of things I'm going to put in the show notes, but uh, what's your favorite way to, for people to find you? Well, my favorite is uh, I'd love to give a gift for everybody, if that's okay. That's wonderful. Um, So for everybody tuning in, uh, if you go to sellingwithlove.com forward slash lead with trust, I'm going to give the first chapter of my book so people can realize why the majority of us hate sales. And so you'll get a breakdown of that. And I put together a meditation for people to connect with their buyer persona. So we talked a lot about understanding the client and the buyer. And there's a meditation I've put together that at least whenever you get into sales mode, you can come from a place of love reminded that you're focused on the impact and you're really trying to make a difference. So if anybody wants a copy of that, it's just sellingwithlove.com forward slash lead with trust. I appreciate that so much. I'm sure everyone's going to love that. Pun intended. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, Great. Thank you. Yeah, we see. Thank you. Look at that. Thank you so much. Really, really appreciate it. Thanks for being a guest, a great guest, because we just love you. Thank you. It was a pleasure to share. And I'm hoping this has been unblocking you. If ever sales was a problem that you can go out there, look at it differently and be excited about growing your business. Perfect. I think I think that will be the case. I can't wait to hear some stories. Hey, I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Lead with Trust. And that wherever you're listening to this podcast, you will subscribe. And if you enjoyed this episode, send it to someone who you think can really use this message that you got today. And also, please leave us a review. You know, your honest review, wherever you listen to your podcast would be much appreciated. And of course, the more reviews we get, the better they are, the better for the podcast. I'm truly on a mission to get more and more people to understand that trust is the essential element. So I hope you'll be part of that. You know, this show really exists to help you leaders to build your business on a foundation of trust so that you can reap the rewards of becoming that top performer in your market. I see over and over where no one can possibly reach the levels of those people that understand how to build a high trust culture in their business. Now today, if you're really curious about starting your trusted leader journey, you can get started right away if you just take the free trusted leader profile and you can learn where you fall along the trusted leader continuum. And this really can unlock your confidence on where you are and what you need to do. It's very specific on what you can do gives you a snapshot of your leadership style. So if you want to take that, just go to www.sudyco.com and then forward slash profile, and you will get immediate access to the trusted leader profile. Once again, that is www.sudyco.com forward slash profile. All right, that's a wrap. I just can't wait to hang out with you again on our next episode.